It's Sunday night, and our subject on Sunday night is prophecy. Well, if I don't keep dropping my papers, (laughs) prophecy is... is our subject prophecy everybody wants to say when you're going to talk about prophecy well the entire bible is about prophecy you have to know what happened in the old testament from judges all the way through the books of the kings particularly first and second kings and first and second chronicles now when you look at these books first and second samuel is not so much about prophecy as these books here kings and chronicles because kings and chronicles is where that israel began to worship baal which was the sun god and the grove along with dozens of other gods the grove was the tree goddess the tree she was represented by the moon and the sun god was represented by the fire upon the earth when you see anything with fire gods offering to fire gods israel offered their children to moloch which was another name for actually just another name for baal moloch And what Israel did during this time period, during the judges, that kept going back, their judges was set up when they came out of of 40 years in the wilderness. And before that, they were 400 years in Egypt. And then before that, they were under Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These were the patriarchs. Then they get carried into Egypt don't want to go into that story now then they go out here into they leave egypt go into the desert and god gives them laws and he says if you don't obey these laws i'll send four judgments upon you when you're reading your bible always notice where god will say i'm going to send the sword the famine the pestilence and i'll do that over and over and over again and finally when I get fed up, I'll send the beast in. The beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Persia, Greece, and Rome. Even the Bible says that there were four horns in the first chapter of Zechariah that carried Israel away into captivity. And those four horns were Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. A horn was the same thing as uh, we said it this morning as a mountain. And the mountain that carried Israel away was Babylon. She was called a destroying mountain because she was lifted up in pride. Babylon was founded on the very statement, let us make us a name. Now, what they did during this time period, going after these sun and tree gods, God says, if you keep going after them and you're not repentant, I'll have you carried away into captivity. And he has northern Israel, the ten northern tribes, the ten tribes, which was led by Ephraim. Ephraim was the second-born son of Joseph, 
And because Joseph loved, Joseph was loved by his father more than anyone else, he gave, God gave Ephraim, second born of Joseph. And any time Joseph or Ephraim is referred to after they're carried away, it's talking about northern Israel or the ten northern tribes the ten lost tribes and the whole idea of all of this southern Judah was carried away in 586 BC 586 they were carried away by Babylon northern Israel was carried away by Syria Um, excuse me Assyria and the whole idea of them being carried away is to measure how far we're going to be until the end of time. And when Israel comes back from 2,600 years, 2,600 years of being in captivity, and they were captive all of that time, when they come back, this is going to be a sign that we're right at the end of time. And guess what? Like the little girl said in the movie, they're back. They are back from 2,600 years. And concerning this, if you're going to study the end of time, there, there are chapters throughout the Bible to study this. Let me write down a bunch of them for you. I wrote them down a while ago. I know them, but I, I'll just write them down for you. Matthew, the 24th chapter. And Mark, the 13th chapter. Mark 13, 24 and 13. And then you've got Luke, the 21st chapter. Luke 21. And these chapters... Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. And that's because they have a synonymous view of all the things that they speak about. If you're going to study demons in Luke, in Luke, the 8th chapter, which is one of the most common chapters on the so-called demoniac, I say so-called because we don't believe in demons here. In Luke 8, then you have to study Mark 5, and you have to study Matthew, the 8th chapter. And each one of these will say something the other one doesn't say. That's just like these end-of-time chapters. Luke is one of my favorites to study on because it says some things That's considerably different than Matthew and Mark. But nevertheless, these are sister chapters. Now, Israel has been carried away because of all of this apostasy. The end of time, the end of time has to do with these verses here, have to do with how long it takes God to get Israel's attention. And he gets their attention by putting them through trials and persecution, and particularly, he gets their attention with what's called the 70 weeks 
of Daniel. And when you want to know when the end of time is, you got to study these chapters here. Probably my favorite verse, if I just picked out a verse out of the Bible concerning the end of time, it would be Luke 21, 24. I used to travel in the ministry back in my 20s all over the country, and I would teach on prophecy, and it always opened. I didn't have a bunch of nights to teach on it. I'd have a night or two nights to teach on it when I was in some church for four or five days. So I'd always start with Luke 21, 24. Speaking of Israel, the Bible says, They, Israel, shall fall by the edge of the sword, fall by sword. And what that's talking about, it's talking about northern Israel being carried away with the sword of Assyria and southern Judah being carried away. Southern Judah is two tribes. And that's Benjamin and Judah, or Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin. And the northern tribes is the ten lost tribes because they never came back from the captivity. And so what we're looking for is what are these 70 weeks for? While they were going after these other gods during a 510-year period, when Israel was going after these other gods, they never kept their sabbatical years at least for 70 sets of the sabbatical years, 70 times 7. I won't say they never kept them. They kept them probably under David and some of the good kings, but they didn't keep them overall. So they had 70 sets of these sabbatical years. The sabbatical years, every seven years, they had to let the land alone, let it lie fallow, they couldn't plant, they couldn't reap that year, and every seven years, and they didn't keep the majority of those. And they went for 70 of these weeks of years, or 490 years, where they ne- never kept their sabbatical years. So God says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pick you up and put you over here in Babylon, for 70 years. Their sabbatical years was so that the ground would would restore its nutrients. You cannot plant every you can't plant a garden every year in the same spot. Just like out in the Midwest, you cannot if you've got 500 acres, you cannot plant all 500 acres every year if you do that you'll drain the ground of all of its nutrients and you'll have to call in a a farm agent and he'll come in and test the soil just like they do when you sell a house he'll test the soil and find out what you're lacking there and they'll have to recommend you some fertilizer to put out your crops so that they'll grow well we have that today but they didn't have that back in Israel's time So God says, the way we'll do it, you just leave the land alone every seven years and don't plant nothing and don't reap anything. That was God's crop rotation. 
This is what we call crop rotation when we don't plant every year. I don't know how they measure that out, but those farm agents know how to do that. They're trained in that. They go to college for that. So instead of crop rotation, God says, do not plant, don't reap in the seventh year. And Israel didn't understand the ecology of the land. They said, if you think we're not, Moses, if you think we're not going to reap every seven years, you out of your mind. And they didn't. They, they didn't leave the land alone. The Bible says in the 25th chapter of Leviticus that those, that seventh year was for the poor, for the animals, and everybody who didn't have anything or any land or any money, that was for them. You leave it alone. Well, God says, if you abide by my laws, isn't this amazing? After 490 years of never keeping their sabbatical years, never keeping their sabbatical years, the land could not be very good when God decided to destroy them. This sabbatical year would keep the land in plenty. But if you didn't do that, after they'd gone 490 years, can you imagine what ragtag crops they had after that many years? The last few years of these 490 years that they never kept, they probably had some of the worst crops in the world. And the Bible says that Israel was a land filled with milk and honey. In other words, there was a lot of bees there. There were a lot of honey. There was a lot of uh, like one writer said, Mr. Edersheim, he said, the descended udders of the ghosts, the milk was pouring out. He said they had all that they could eat and drink, but they did not want to do it God's way. So at the end, when God measures out these 70 weeks, the Bible gives you the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Turn over there real quick. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. I didn't mean to get on the 70 weeks of Daniel tonight. This is a good place to put in. Daniel is in Babylon. Daniel, Babylon. Daniel and Ezekiel were young men. Daniel and Ezekiel. They followed on the hills of Jeremiah. They were probably young men watching Jeremiah preach in the streets of Jerusalem. And when they watched Jeremiah, they're sitting in awe of this great prophet. And God tells Daniel and Ezekiel, you're going to be next. He's being persecuted. And next it's going to be you. Well, Ezekiel and Daniel, there were three three deportations when Israel was carried southern Judah was carried into captivity into Babylon God says I've had my fill of you you not not only are you disobedient to the 70 weeks you decided to go find some other gods and call them your fertility gods when God said in Daniel 28 If you're obedient to me and my laws, 
Your womb will be full. You'll have healthy kids. You'll have plenty of crops. Your storehouses are packed full. You can't outgive me. So he said, you'll have all you can eat. All you have to do is obey me. When they quit obeying God, they gave up their power to conquer their enemies. In fact, along with that in Daniel in in Deuteronomy twenty eight, along with these blessings of God, you can go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways. But Israel gave that up to the beast when they did not, and the and the ones who gave it up was northern Israel when Ahab married Jezebel and brings that fire and tree worship into Israel. And you find that in the 16th chapter of 1 Kings. Now, <coughs> we've talked about this so many times. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, that's in Nehemiah, the second chapter. Artaxerxes is the king. Artaxerxes is the king of Persia, and he gives a he gives the decree. He's the Persian king. He gives the decree to Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem. This is around four forty four, four forty five, four forty four B.C. And he was given this commandment to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. And that's what Daniel 9, 24 is about. Daniel 9, 24 says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. This is Gabriel talking to Daniel about the time of the evening sacrifice, about the time of the oblation. The oblation offering was offered with the evening lamb sacrifice that Israel offered every evening. It was about the time of the evening oblation, Gabriel came and talked to Daniel and said, let me tell you how long Daniel was agonizing all through this ninth chapter. He said, we have sinned against you, God. He included himself. He did the same thing that Ezra did. Ezra said, we've sinned against God. Even though it wasn't Ezra that sinned, even though it wasn't Daniel that sinned, they confessed for the, all the people, said, we've sinned. He says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. This is what Gabriel's telling Daniel. To do six things. And when these six things are finished, then the end will come. First of all, 70 weeks are determined upon Israel upon thy holy city boy when you see holy city remember Jerusalem was called Sodom and Egypt in the 11th chapter of Revelation the holy city will be the church overall it will be the church upon thy people upon thy holy city to do six things to finish the transgression of Israel against God They've been transgressing against God all the time. They're a nation. God told Moses when they came out of the wilderness, when you go in to possess the land, drive all those heathens out, and they didn't even do that right. They didn't do it at all. 
drive out to here, the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all those ites and get them out of the land. They didn't. They married them instead. Then, to finish the transgression of Israel against God, all that worship of those idols, to make an end of sins in Israel, that's going to be at the end of time. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. Reconciliation is an interesting word, kafar. Kafar is the same word as atonement. Atonement. Make atonement for sins, for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's not going to happen till the end of time. And to seal up or to stop the vision and prophecy. What that means is to fulfill all the visions that's been made by the prophets and and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, that's very interesting. The most holy was the holy of holies. That last thing is extremely interesting. You've got... I want to go through this slow. I've said it real fast, and nobody's commented to me on it. (coughs) I want to show you what this means. The most holy was this section here, the holy of holies, the inner sanctuary here. Within that inner sanctuary was the Ark of the Covenant. This is the Ark. And inside the ark was the law written on tables of stone. Tables of stone. And this inner sanctuary, this was an eight inch, about eight inches thick veil right here. And the inner sanctuary was called the house of God. That's very interesting because here in the New Testament, in the New Testament, you've got, we're going to draw it with a broken line. We've got the spiritual temple of God, and that's you and I. No, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there is a house of God over here, and the writer of Hebrews. 3 and 6 says, Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? And Christ lives in us, and we have written upon our hearts on fleshy tables of the heart. Fleshy tables. I'm still talking about anointing the most holy. And the And the law is written on fleshy tables of our hearts. So our hearts are the spiritual ark of the covenant. And before the high priest comes in here, and before he, when he sprinkles our hearts, he has to make the entire temple of God holy. That is us that he puts through fire and trials to break us and get a hold of us and cause us to be willing to bow to him. 
So anointing the most holy would be anointing the house of God, which is us. So the last person that comes into the fold is going to have the anointing. And what are we anointed with according to 1 John 2.27? 1 John 2.27, we're anointed with truth. And the truth is the law written on fleshy tables of our hearts. So the priest would have to anoint the entire. And we have a high priest. Only the high priest could go in there and take once a year. And Christ offered one sacrifice once for all. And and the priest would come in on the day of atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month. And the seventh month was Tishri. And on Tishri, or September, October, the priest would come in there. He would get, there was a goat offered, and you find that in the 16th chapter of Leviticus. That's the Day of Atonement. It wasn't a lamb that was offered that day. It was a goat. When the Bible says God hath made him to be sin for us, God made him a goat in our place. And the blood of the goat was taken into, in here into the house of God. That's the most holy. The holy of holies is the house of God. And that's you and that's me when we're living. When God is putting us through all kinds of fire and trials, He's anointing you and I as the most holy. Now, so I want to get something over to you. Let's go over here to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I don't know if you've seen this clear. I see it clear. Of course, I've spent a lifetime studying it. Other than a break for selling some real estate and a while in the music world. All right, Hebrews 10. Now, Hebrews 10 is about this right here. It's about us, the spiritual temple of God, having the law written in fleshy tables of our hearts. Well, let me just read that to you out of 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. And this will show you that the law is written in our hearts, not in tables of stone. All right. 2 Corinthians, third chapter, verse 3. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone any longer, but in fleshy tables of our hearts. So that's where the law is written now. Uh, Indiana Jones can quit looking for the Ark of the Covenants, and it's in our hearts. And that's the inner sanctuary. And that's where Christ in you, the hope of glory, abides and lives. Now, look back over here at Hebrews 10. 
And I've read this so many times that it's hard for me not to see it. Verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them, with Israel. And he's talking about spiritual Israel, the church. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds while I write them. The Bible says God wrote with his finger on tables of stone. The Bible says in Luke the 11th chapter, if I with the finger of God cast out devils, demonion, self, I'm not going to go into demons right now, demonion, if I with the finger of God cast out devils, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. So God has to cast out self in order to be, for you to become born again. And that's nothing that you have anything to do with. You don't have anything to do with it. God does. Now, and I love what it says here following. And their sins and iniquities are our memory no more now where remission of, the, of these is there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, the holy of holies, to have the holy of holies anointed, and it has to be anointed by a priest, a high priest, by a holiest by the blood of Christ. So Christ is the offering on that altar, except it's the altar is a cross. And he is the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So many things go through my mind when I teach on Melchizedek. I want to go other places. I don't have time. And we enter in. The Bible says, look here what it says. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ, by a new and living hodos. So this pathway to our heart is the hodos. It's only, there's only one hodos, that's the word way, and it is narrow. Narrow is the word thalibo. Thalibo, and thalibo comes from thalipsis, which is the word tribulation. So the narrow way in the holiest of our heart is narrow and it is tribulation we have to go through these things for God to enter into our heart and sprinkle our hearts and a blood baptism was a death when Jesus tells James and John can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with he's talking about a blood baptism not water he's not talking about water He's not saying, are you able to be dipped in water? No, he's talking about the blood baptism. Having him as the high priest come into our heart, that's the way now it's narrow. All of this has been blotted out over here. Blotting out all the rituals, which was against us. It was contrary to us. Took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. I don't know how I got on this subject. 
by new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say that would be i.e. that is to say the veil equals his flesh so everything that's equal to the flesh is the veil is this veil here if you don't understand figurative language you won't understand any of this everywhere you find the veil is his flesh well we can straighten this out over here in John the 6th chapter John 6 John 6 In John 6, Jesus says, Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Well, the Roman Catholics said, Well, we have to eat the literal flesh of Christ, so they come up with this idea of a mass, and the mass is eating him in flesh. And they raise the Eucharist up and say, Hocus corpus in filet. They say that turns into the litter, body, and blood of Christ. You have to walk down the aisle and accept Christ or accept this flesh of Christ. Except that's not what it says. He says here in John 6. So everything that's equal to this flesh is the veil that goes into the Holy of Holies. And remember, that's the house of God. It's the house and this is the house because Christ came down out of that cloud and sat down on the Ark of the Covenant and ruled Israel from there. He sits on the, on the throne of our hearts and rules our life from there. But you have to be purified and clean. So, so we're talking about anointing the most holy. And when the most holy is anointed... And the last person that belongs to God comes into the fold. Then the mystery of God will be finished. It'll be, it'll be fulfilled and complete. The mystery of God is the church. Now look here. He says here in chapter 6, verse 53, Then Jesus said unto the, his apostles, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then he tells you what the flesh of Christ is. Oh, by the way, the flesh is the veil going into the house of God, and that's us. You have to see, you have to see the metaphorical language here. It's idiomatic. For my flesh is made indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Indeed is the word alethes. He said, my flesh equals indeed. Indeed is the word alethes, which is of truth. So if the flesh of Christ is alethes, aletheia is the word truth. So eat flesh and drink muds means to eat and drink a truth. 
that comes from the word lanthano, lanthano, and lanthano means to hide or lie hid or conceal. And when you place the alpha, the first letter of the grief, the alphabet, in front of a word as a negative particle, and this is a negative particle indeed, it's a negative particle, and the gates lanthano, it means not to hide anything. So, I want to say this and make it plain. The veil is his flesh. His flesh is indeed or his flesh is not hiding anything. When you define the words and tell people what things mean, you're eating flesh and drinking blood. And eat flesh and drink blood, you'll find that in the 39th chapter of Ezekiel, which I'm going to go back to, Ezekiel 39. You'll also find it, you'll find it in Matthew 24. These are prophecy scriptures, 24. And you'll find it in Revelation 19, where the birds of the air are going to come and eat flesh and drink blood. And that was an old ancient term that to to partake in a slaughter. We are the slaughter. We're going to partake in it. We're going to be slaughtered by the world. If it's not a literal slaughter, it'll be a spiritual slaughter. So everything that the flesh is, is of truth. And that's the most holy being anointed. The most holy would be everyone that's a believer. They're going to be sprinkled by the blood of Christ. And there comes a time where the last person, the last person that comes into the kingdom will be the last one that's anointed. And that will be when the church is complete now look back I'm not through with this so truth is of truth is is the flesh it's eating of the flesh and that's of truth and that's the veil so the flesh the veil is the flesh the flesh is truth isn't it and the Bible says thy word is truth So to eat flesh and drink blood, you eat of the word of God. And he says, anyone that eats this bread eats of truth in this context here. So you eat of truth when you eat of the bread. And what is the bread? In 1 Corinthians 10, 17, we being many are one bread and one body. So we're the bread and we're one body. So the body is the bread and the bread is the truth and the truth is the flesh and the flesh is the veil that takes you into the holy of holies y'all understand that is that hard to get a hold of that huh it's all the same and then he says he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. That was idioms. That wasn't, didn't mean to eat literal flesh and drink literal blood. 
Now go over here to Revelation, the 10th chapter. We're still talking about the last, the sixth point of Daniel 9.24. The sixth point. So anointing the most holy. When you get every person that has been predestined from the foundation of the world to be in the kingdom of God, and you get the last one comes into the fold, then the mystery of God, which is the church, is complete, isn't it? That would be the last anointing of the most holy, and everything's done. All right. Look here in Revelation. When the seventh trumpet sounds, the seventh trumpet sounds in Revelation 10, Christ puts one foot on the land and the other on the sea. There's eight trumpets in Revelation 8, 9, and, excuse me, seven trumpets in Revelation 8, 9, and 10. We've already had six of the trumpets to sound up to this point. Remember, a trumpet is a voice. It tells you what to do. In other words, if you get up in the morning and you're in the army, you hear Reveille. And that means it's time to get up and go to chow. Well, you have taps played at night. It's time to go to bed. Those are voices that tells you instruction about what you're going to do. And then the angel, which is Christ, which I saw there in verse 5, stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the things in the, the, in the sea and the things that therein are, that time is no longer, time is over at the signing of the last trump, and that's when we're going to be changed in First Corinthians 15, 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trump. Here it is right here. The seventh trumpet is the last in a series of seven trumpets. The things that there are that there should be time no longer and in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God is the church or it is the most holy and it is it should be finished as he had declared to his servants the prophets finished the mystery of God is the church it's a mystery because he only revealed it to whomsoever he will mystery only the church knows the Mysterian. No one else knows the mystery. The muo means to shut the mouth. So, so it's been kept a secret from the world, and the mystery of God is the church. Where do you get that, Jim? In Ephesians, the third and the fifth chapter. Look at that. So when the mystery is finished... The last person that is a part of the inner sanctuary, that's the house of God, the last person is going to have his heart anointed with the blood of Christ. And the end is here because he's got one foot on the land, the other on the sea, when the seventh trumpet sounds and says, it's all over. 
And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the end of the 70 weeks of Daniel. We know that 69 of the weeks were finished. 69 of the weeks from the going forth of commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. That was in Nehemiah, the second chapter. From the going forth of commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. When Jesus came in Jerusalem, in the 12th chapter of Matthew, the 19th chapter of Luke, they're just sister chapters, the people were crying, Hosanna, God save King Jesus. That's what they were saying. Hosanna, which means God save the King. And when they come in, they crucified him four days later as the Passover lamb. So from the going forth of commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Jesus comes in Jerusalem in Luke 19. Luke 19. From the going forth of commandment, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, the second chapter, until Jesus is coming in Jerusalem four days before he is crucified from this commandment to here will be seven weeks these are weeks of years seven weeks three score and two weeks a score is 20 three and 20 is 60 plus seven weeks of years 67 plus 2 is 69 weeks are going to be complete when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And evidently they knew something about the 70 weeks because they're saying, Hosanna, God save King Jesus. Now, look over here in Ephesians to understand this mystery that's going to be complete. Go to the third chapter third chapter of Ephesians I've said this and I haven't had anybody comment I keep saying the mystery is the church it's the Gentile church and here in Ephesians Ephesians the third chapter now Paul is saying For this cause, he's referring to the previous chapter when the Gentiles become fellow citizens and heirs with the Jews in the kingdom of God. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, Paul was called to preach to the Gentiles, which no one had ever preached to before, because they were forbidden from having the truth from from Adam until Jesus. And then it's revealed to the Gentiles, everybody that's not a Jew, in Acts the second chapter. God pours out of his spirit on all flesh or all men, red, yellow, white, black, and brown men, whereas only the Jews had it from Adam until Jesus. Only those of the lineage of of Adam, all the way down through that fifth chapter, goes down to Noah 
And down in that 11th chapter goes down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was one bloodline. And the Gentiles were forbidden from having that truth given to them. Gentiles were forbidden. But now, and it's been a mystery to everyone except the elect who Jesus is. It's a mystery. Then he says, If you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, a dispensation doesn't mean a period of time, is the word oikonomia. Y-K-O-N-O-M-I-A. And we get the word economy. Economy. Economia. Economy. When you look up economy in the Webster's Dictionary, it will tell you that it comes from the Greek word economia. Economy comes from oikos, means house remember we are the house of God here our hearts are the ark of the covenant and it means oikos house or family and nomos it means the law the law that's written on fleshy tables of our hearts of the house of God and means the dispensing of this law from our mouths and we are his house then he goes on to say that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words now he's going to tell you what the mystery is what the secret is of the mysterion Here's the secret of the mystery that's been kept hidden. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote a four and few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. That's a term for Gentiles, sons of men as it is now revealed unto his apostles and prophets by the by the spirit that the mystery is that the gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers the same body how many bodies are there according to the same book in the fourth chapter there in in uh, verse four one body one spirit one hope of his calling. And what is the body according to Colossians 1? It's the church, isn't it? The body is the church. So, the body, the body is the church. The church, being the body, is the bread. We being many are one bread and one body. And the bread is the truth or the word of God. And the truth is his flesh. And the flesh is the veil of this spiritual tabernacle of God. And we enter into the veil by a new and living hodos. 
And hodos is narrow. So narrow applies to all of the things that equals to the veil. All these things here. That's the veil. We enter in by a new living way through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. And the mystery is that. You see that word that? That refers back to the mystery that's been hidden through the ages from the Gentiles. Huh? Did what? Isn't what? I can't hear you. Like so. Like so. Yeah, yeah. So, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same one body, the church. So the body traces all the way back to the flesh, which is the veil of the temple. And guess what? This fleshly body that we live in is the flesh of Christ. Because we are supposed to be living righteously in God because he lives in us and he is seated in our hearts. And that's the Ark of the Covenant. Now, let me give you another verse on the mystery. Go over here. And any time you see revealed or revelation, that is the exact opposite of the word mystery. Revealed is apo apocalypto. In fact, reveal, revealed and truth are synonyms. Remember truth, truth, aletheia, not to hide anything comes from the Alpha Privity and Lanthano, meaning to hide. The Alpha Privity says not to hide, and those that it's revealed to, apo, colupto, means a removal of the cover. So that's the exact opposite of mystery, right? That's exact opposite of mystery. So the mystery is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body as the Jews. That previous chapter states that. Then when you go over here to the fifth chapter of Revelation, fifth chapter of Ephesians, excuse me, I've got a revelation on my mind. Fifth chapter of Ephesians. He's talking about the church here. Therefore, as the church is subject, verse 24, well, let's look at 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. He's not the boss of the wife. He's the head. The head cherishes the body. My head cherishes my body. I don't want to cut myself and start bleeding all over the place and say, well, that's just my hand. That's his fault. <laughs> you, you don't want to do that. You want to look... The head looks after the body, doesn't it? It doesn't beat the body up. So the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the one body. So the body is the church. That's us. We're called out of this world. And he is our head there in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Therefore, as the church is, the, is subject unto Christ, so let the wives 
be to their own husbands and everything, but it's not talking about be subject to a beating or a cussing. No. Be subject to the husband laying down his body for you just like Christ laid his body down for the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It says Ate, A-U-T-A to and Ada is feminine gender that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word the word is that the true spiritual water is the Holy Spirit that's what John 4 says when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well that he might present it to himself a glorious church notice he keeps talking about the church and the body not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, the one body of the church, members of his flesh, his veil. We said the flesh was the veil, didn't we? And of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall join unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's the mystery that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Now let's go back to Hebrews 10. I got off on a rabbit trail here, didn't I? Hebrews 10. So when you go in, when Christ as a high priest over the house of God, whose house are we, and he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, we enter in by a new and living hodos in verse 20, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, his body, his bread, his, everything that's equal to the truth, Everything that's equal is the veil of this temple that we live in. Notice it's our literal flesh that he lives in. Doesn't he? Does he live in you? He's supposed to be living in you. And having a high priest over the house of God, whose house are we? That's in Hebrews, the third chapter in verse 6. Christ is the son of his own house. He says that. In uh, Hebrews 3, it takes really getting a hold of this. 3 and 6, Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? And we will hold it firm unto the end. Because he that hath begun a good work in you, he'll do the performing of it till the day of Jesus Christ. Now, look back here in verse chapter 10 Christ is the son over the house which is us let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience so our hearts are sprinkled with the blood of Christ and a blood baptism was a death he's washed us from our sins in his own blood if you miss the idiomatic language here you're going to miss everything that this is about this is 
This is metaphoric language, which is figurative speech. And having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's pure water? Living water. Living water, according to Jesus in John 4, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again, he tells the woman to well. She said, how can you do that? The well is very deep. You don't have anything to draw with. He said, I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about the Spirit. So anytime you see the Holy Spirit, that's the living water of God. Now, so in fact, we're, let me show you something that's important. John 3. John 3. When you get into the Holy Spirit, it's always called living water. Living water was water that was in those underground uh, rivers flowing. The biggest rivers in the world are the ones that are underground. And they said that the water that was living way down below the surface, it was cold water. That's why the Bible says over here, I believe it's Matthew 10. In Matthew, the 10th chapter. This really puzzled me for a long time until I studied the Holy Spirit being the living water. This puzzled me. In verse 42 of the 10th chapter of Matthew. Whosoever shall give a drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water. There wasn't any cold water in Israel unless you got it from one of those underground streams. And that was called living water. So the whole connotation here is talking about giving a cup of cold water. I couldn't understand. You just need to put some water in a refrigerator and get it cold and hand it to somebody. Now, this is living water. Cup of cold water only in name of the disciple. Verily I send you, he shall not lose his reward. If you're giving out the living water, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, where do I go from here? <laughs> I got off on this trail of anointing the most holy. So when the last person comes in to the fold and he's anointed with the blood of Christ by our high priest Melchizedek Christ, the end is here. We're talking about the end of time. When the last one comes in, that's when the seventh trumpet will sound. That's when he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And that takes me to another set of trumpets. You had a trumpet the first of every month for seven straight months, starting in Nisan, which is March, April, the beginning of the harvest, all the way to the end of the harvest, September, October. And that was seven months later. At the beginning of every one of those months, there was a trumpet that sounded. They would sound a trumpet. They called it a new moon festival. And when the last trumpet sounded... In September, October, they separated the sheep from the goats for the winter, and they would separate the wheat from the tares. 
And that's a picture of the end of time in September, October. Now, when you're looking for the end of time, you got to look at these chapters. These are some of your best chapters to look at. You can look at Matthew 24. Well, it doesn't write. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, Isaiah 11, and all of these are about the end of time, Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 is about Judah and northern Israel coming, that's the ten tribes, and this is the two, coming together at the end of time, end of time. Well, that has happened in May of 1948, particularly in the Six-Day War of 1967, where from June 5th to June 10th, that goes with Luke 21:24. It says, the Jews shall fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the Gentile rule over Israel uh, over the Jews is fulfilled. Well, the Gentile rule over Jerusalem began to cease in June 5th through 10, 1967. That was the Six-Day War. And Israel had been under the rule of Gentiles since all the way back in 586 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed Jerusalem, and they'd been under the rule of Gentiles until the Six-Day War, where they came in and threw the Jordanians out. Now, that has something to do with the end of time. I don't know how long it's going to be to the end of time. I believe it's right upon us. I've never seen the world as corrupted as it is now. And what it has, it has a mask on. It's parading itself around such as Christians. But Christianity does not compromise. And what's going on in the world is this uh, attitude of let everybody be what they want to be. It's actually the edict of toleration. What do we call that? political correctness the political correctness is a sign of the end because that is saying don't offend anybody everybody hold hands and that's saying let the Buddhists be Buddhists let the Hindus be Hindus let the Catholics be Catholics let the Baptists be Baptists but don't anybody say anything to offend any of these people and that's called a fairness doctrine that's penetrating the world throughout all the world the time will come when they will not allow me to get on TV 
and say Kenneth Copeland's a liar. Billy Graham was lying with Accept Christ and Sinner's Prayer. They're all lying with their Christmas and their Easter. It's just not true. Do you realize that Christmas and Easter was the very reason that Christmas and Easter and all that they're equal to, Christmas is Mardi Gras under a different culture. The same thing. One was among the, you had uh, the Feast of Saturn in Rome. You had among the uh, France, the French, you had Mardi Gras, and that ended at after 40 days with the Annunciation of the pagan goddess in the ancient world. You had the Celts had their Halloween. It was all the same thing. It was called Samhain. It, it's nothing but the. It's nothing but the. It's, it's crazy, but it's the swastika. You can go online and look up swastika in the stars, and it'll give you the Big Dipper. Like this. This is what it'll give you. Give you this. This is a big dipper. And it's the swastika. Swastika suvasti means it is good. And the reason they said it was good, they would check the Big Dipper every three months on the 3rd of the month, June the 3rd, September the 3rd, December the 3rd, March the 3rd. And they'd look at it at midnight, and this is what they'd get. And you'd be here June the 3rd, September the 3rd, when you get to September, you're going into winter. And they said this was their time clock for their crops. For the crops. Amazes me, I've got a book. It's about the stars, and it's on the front of the book. It's got this, the big difference. It doesn't even mention the swastika. That's funny to me. And that's the... That was called the wheel of the year. And the reason they call it the wheel of the year is all the pagans said, we've got to get this big dipper at midnight around to March. So we can start having crops again. It was the same thing that God promised Israel. I'll give you plenty of crops if you'll bow to me. It's just, I challenge all of you, next time you're on the internet, just look up swastika in the stars, and this is what you'll see. It's the Big Dipper in these four phases. Just, I'm amazed that people don't even know this. They were wanting to get that Big Dipper in their clock back to March so they could start having crops all the way through the summer here. And then they'd get back into winter again. And this was the this was the period of darkness. Darkness. Because the sun would wane down to its dimmest point in the dead of winter, particularly December the 21st, longest nights of the year, so they appointed a birthday for the unconquerable sun on the 25th, three days later. 
And that was the birthday of the sun god. I don't know why I said that, but it did. Now, so you've got all these places you need to study to study the end of time. Got Israel coming back in Isaiah the 11th chapter, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the 37th chapter says the same thing that Isaiah 11 at the end of time that the that the breach between Judah they fought all the time and northern Israel Judah is southern Israel and Judah was ruled by the descendants of Judah which was the tribe that the king had from come from and David was of the tribe of Judah and Jesus was the lion of Judah and northern Israel, it was northern, and the breach between the two will be healed at the end of time. The breach is over. Israel's not fighting among themselves anymore. And they were fighting each other all those years. So you got the same thing. That's the Valley of Dry Bones in the 37th chapter. Valley of Dry Bones. And in this. The Lord shows Ezekiel a valley full of bones that are very dry. That means they've been dead a long time. That's about Israel having died in 586 B.C. and 722 B.C. And they were buried over in Babylon. And God says, I will raise them up. But he says he'll raise them up in Ezekiel, the 36th chapter. And in the 37th chapter, he says, Ezekiel, you preach to these dead bones. Don't worry about them coming to life. This is one of the best pictures of predestination throughout the Bible, Ezekiel 37. Jim, you go out and preach to the dead bones. If they belong to me and they're spiritual Israel, I will breathe upon him and bring them to life. That's as good as you can get on predestination. 37th chapter of Ezekiel. And God says, take one stick in Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. He said, you preach to them. I'll breathe them and bring them alive. Take one stick for Joseph. The stick of Ephraim. That was Joseph's second born. Stick of Ephraim. What's funny, the uh, the Mormons will say, take one stick for Joseph, uh, our founder, Joseph Smith. He's not in the stick of Ephraim. The stick of Ephraim, one stick for Judah. And they will be one stick in my hand saith the Lord he says the same thing in Isaiah 11 he says they will fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines when Israel is the breach is healed and when you see when you see Israel and the Philistines The Philistines is the Gaza Strip on the southwest corner of Israel. 
And Israel is one nation, and they go in there and fly upon the upon the shoulders of the Philistines. They're fighting the Philistines, and the Philistines can't whip Israel. Now, and you also have, if you're going to study prophecy, God says, I'll make them one in my hand, I'll whip everybody with them. And you also, if you're going to study the end of time, you got to study Ezekiel, Thirty-eight and Ezekiel thirty-nine. In thirty-eight, this talks about at the end of time. End of time. Gog is going to get together all of his cohorts, all of those that have affinity with Gog, and they're all going to attack Israel. And that has never happened before. And here is, let's see here. Here is the land of God. I'll get it in a minute. Here it is. Israel is on the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea, like here, most people don't realize this, that the Bible lands is the Mediterranean Sea area. This is everything the Bible is about right here. You've got, you've got Assyria over here. See this right here? That's what we call a rack right here. That was the ancient kingdom of Babylon or Babylonia. Persia was over here. That was the beast that overthrew Babylon. And then Persia was overthrown. That's Iran right here, Iran. And Persia, or Iran was overthrown by Alexander the Great right here. <coughs> and they were subdued by Rome right here. So the beast that rises up out of the sea, actually, the beast, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, rose up out of the Mediterranean Sea, and that's the bottomless pit. Because no one here, nobody knew about God except Israel. And God said in, in Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, I didn't choose you because you're the greatest of nations, you're the smallest. That's amazing that God chose this little nation smaller than New Jersey and all of the world has its eyes on that little nation right there and nobody else that comes out of this bottomless pit if you want to call it that let me put it on the board again bottomless pit abusos is the word A-B-U-S-S-O-S and it had a literal meaning A-B-U-S-S-O-S it's constructed from bathos. Bathos means a place of great knowledge. I can't hear you. Okay. I'm my pens are running out. Let me see if I got one over here. I bet I got one. All right. 
Y'all have to speak up. You should talk to me. I don't mind you talk, speaking up. You gotta talk loud. All right. Bottomless pit is the word abusos. Let me erase this and write it up there again. Bottomless pit and the Mediterranean are the same thing. Bottomless pit. Well, that ain't right, neither. I'm sorry. They need, if you invent a pen that will. Yeah, but I don't think they're right necessarily. All right. Let's try one more. Bottomless pit and the Mediterranean are the same thing because of what it says. The Mediterranean the beast had all its borders on the Mediterranean Sea. And all this is the land of the Bible. This up here wasn't. The Huns and the Vandals and the Goths and the Visigoths, Ostrogoths, this was not in Bible lands. This is Bible lands right here. There's no Bible lands except the Mediterranean Sea. And bottomless pit is the word abusos. Abusos is a construction of bathos, meaning something of great knowledge. And when you place the alpha in front of a word as a negative particle, it's called the alpha privative. Negative particle. It'll say neg part in and you're from neg part A. When it says that in your concordance, it means the alpha as a negative particle. It's called the alpha primitive. It means it negates the word alpha primitive. So the alpha negates. It negates knowledge. It means no knowledge. I don't know why they just didn't translate it that way because... Nobody in the Mediterranean area except Israel had knowledge of God. It's that, it's that simple. Is that pretty simple? Bottomless pit is a terrible translation. Probably some Catholic translator did that. Because uh, half the translators are Roman Catholic. Now, if you're going to study, you've got to study. In the 38th chapter, Gog is going to attack. Gog is Gog. Gog is all of these nations together. Gog is actually between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. The land of Gog. Here's the Caucasus Mountains right here. The word Gog comes from Kaw, K-O-H, which means moon. What they did was harden this consonant, Gog, and put a G on it. Gog is Ko, or the moon area. The moon worshippers were these Caucasian Assyrians up here. These were moon worshippers. And if you'll notice on all of their flags, they got a crescent moon on the Turkish flag on all the flags of these people and that was the moon goddess or the grove or the asteroid. 
grow. Well, all of these people led by Gog, I've got it, I've got an article. Do I have any time? Ten. I've got an article. It comes out of McClinic and Strong. Just look up Gog. Look up Magog. They call the, the they call their mountains Magog, and they call the highest points of their mountains in the Caucasus Mountains, they call the highest points Gog. Gog was a title for the man of sin at the end of time. Gog is a title for the king of fierce continents in Daniel the 8th chapter. It's a picture of of what most people call the Antichrist. Antichrist is only mentioned in First and Second John. The Bible says anyone that denies Christ is Antichrist. If you contradict the word of God and you say, I don't believe in predestination, you're Antichrist. If you say, I don't believe that Christmas is pagan, what you're doing is you're contradicting history. So, I meant to get to the 38th chapter, or the 39th chapter this week. I'll get to it next week. The 39th chapter of Ezekiel is about the total destruction of Gog. God says in the 38th chapter that all these nations are going to come against Israel, and it has never happened before. In the 10th chapter of Genesis, you see all these children, descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they landed their ark with Noah, their father, on the mountains of Ararat, which is in eastern Turkey, and that's a chain of mountains. So when they land their ark on these mountains of Ararat, the children of, you read it in the 28th, excuse me, the 10th chapter of Genesis, and their children are Tubal, Madai, and Magog, and Meshach, and it says, the Bible says, all these people are going to come together in a confederation and they're going to attack Israel. And as a whole, that has never happened before. Looks like they're gearing up to do that, doesn't it? It looks like the 38th chapter. And the Bible says, when they come against Israel, God says, my fury will come up in my face. I'm going to get red in the face when I destroy Gog and all of his armies. If you notice, Mizraim and Put, this is Egypt. Cush is down here in Ethiopia. And these are all the people that are enemies of God. Madai and Magog, this is all uh, Arab peoples here in the Baghdad area, which right in here is Iraq, and they're all, it's talking about in the 38th chapter that Meshach and Tubal, which is Turkey, and God, Gomer, which is up in that Russian area, are all going to come together and attack Israel, and that's never happened before. They have attacked Israel through the ages, but not collectively all together. It's never happened before. These are reasons we're close to the end of time. Besides, not to say the least, all of the apostasy that's going on in the churches, all these tongues, Christmas, Easter, uh, get saved, accept Christ, 
You have to believe. If you believe, you're obedient to God's word. I was raised in an independent Baptist preacher's home. And boy, if you said you have to obey God, they would go berserk on you. Why? Well, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't have to work and do nothing. We can cuss if we want to. I don't know if you've ever been around a country Baptist preacher. My father could cuss a blue string, then get up in the pulpit and cry. You talk about messing up my mind. He would threaten his deacons. He threatened to whip one's blankety-blank from the pulpit one time when the guy stood up and said, Brother Brown, are we supposed to love our enemies? And Daddy said, you said I don't come out and whip your so-and-so. You talk about confused. I was confused. Wouldn't that confuse you? And at the same time as trying to honor my father, I didn't know that was honor. That was an honor to let him have his way. And he didn't know anything about the word of God. I didn't learn what I've learned from him. Goodness sakes. So if you're going to study, I'll come back next week and show the destruction of Gog at the end of time in Ezekiel 39. And most people don't think of all these verses concerning the end of time. And then if you're going to read Revelation, you have the end of time. Revelation is not a book with a sequence of events. They're individual happenings. John would say, The Spirit of the Lord came to me and took me up in a vision. I saw this. And then he'd say, The Spirit of the Lord come and took me up, and I saw another vision. It would be visions of the same thing sometimes with a different angle on it. So when you when the end of time is in Revelation six, the end of time is in Revelation eight, ten, six, eight, ten, twelve is an overall picture of the end of time. So these are not Words in a sequence. They're not a sequential happenings. You got 12. You got 14 where the blood will be up to the bridle bits of the horses. That don't mean that there'll be a river of blood flowing this high. That means the blood will be splashing. It will be a bloody battle. And that's referring to the same thing that's happening in Ezekiel, the 38th chapter. You're going to have the same thing happening in 38 that's going on in verse four, chapter 14 of Revelation. Then you're going to have 15 where the vials of God are poured out upon the earth, vials. And that's the judgment of bowls. The word is bowls of God's judgment are going to be poured out. And then 16, you've got Armageddon. And Armageddon is the same thing as verse 14 with the blood up to the bridle bits of the horses. And that's the same thing in Ezekiel 38, which leads to 39, the destruction of Gog and Magog. And then you have the 18th chapter, which is the total, total destruction of Babylon. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It fell once in the Old Testament and you see that falling in the Old Testament in 50 and 51, 51st chapter of Jeremiah. And you also see it. You also see the fall of Babylon in Isaiah 13 and 14. So these would also be chapters that you would study along 
with the other chapters about the destruction of Babylon. And you've got Babylon falling in Isaiah 44 and 45. 44 and 45, when the Lord calls in Cyrus to destroy Babylon, when Cyrus comes in, he blocks up the Euphrates, marches down the riverbed, and you got the Euphrates being dried up in Revelation, the 18th chapter, which is a spiritual drying up. And then you've got in chapter 19, Christ is coming back on a great white horse with eyes as a flame of fire, the same thing that he says in First in Second Thessalonians 1, and eight, seven, and eight. Christ will come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. And you'll have the end coming in the twentieth chapter. And in the twentieth chapter, at the end of time, the little season of Satan of Satan. It doesn't say how long it'll be, but I believe it'll be the apostasy of all the preachers. Am I out of time? And I'm going to come back. We're going to hit some of these things together, the 38th chapter, 14th chapter of Revelation, 16th chapter of Revelation, because they're all kin to each other as far as the end of time is concerned. That's enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for helping us see these things. Lord, open up our hearts to truth. Let us live in it till the end. Encourage us, Lord. I don't know when you're coming, but looks like it can't be far away because men are dead in their sin. Men's hearts are hardened towards the truth. All of these things go together. Thank you for revealing your word to us so we can see some of it. We'll praise you for all things. Fight our battles. We can't fight them anymore. In Christ's name we pray, man. One of these days, if you'll invent a pen that will last till all the ink is out of it, you can make a million dollars. I don't know if you want a million dollars if the end comes because you can't spend it. You can take it to heaven with you for sure. Huh? Oh, we got some over here. We just. Huh? Leave the cover off the what? It'll write. No, it won't write. Yeah, I know. But put them, put them where the ink will run down. And then I'll try them right before the, the service. I can't hear y'all talking to me.
I just can't. My my ears may not be doing that me that good. My ears. Yeah, but I still can't hear real plain. Well, you're focused too. Huh? You're focused. Yeah, I'm focused. You're breaking my focus. <laughs> Sorry. 